Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Very cool. It's great to see everyone. I'm coming off from two weeks of vacation. And I tell you what, vacation's good, but it's good to be back in the saddle again. It's really good to be here. It's good to be back. Um, We're going to be talking for the next few weeks. Um, Actually, we've already started. Uh, Pastor Scott shared the last two weeks on the foundations of uh, the foundational doctrines, foundational foundational doctrines of our faith. And um, we're going to continue on that tonight. We're going to actually go through probably the next six weeks. Um, the, The word that God gave me about a month and a half ago was right out of Psalms chapter 11. It says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And it's all about foundational doctrines and the foundations that we have to have in our lives. And I'm just going to um, just reiterate some things just because they deserve to be um, reiterated. And that is the, one of the most important parts of any structure, whether it's a physical building or your own lives, is the foundation upon which you rest. The Parade of Homes just got finished. And I would dare say if anyone went to the Parade of Homes, they didn't walk up and say, wow, what an amazing foundation under that house, right? I doubt if anyone actually said that. But there was a house over on Canal, right over, just one street over, and it was a house sitting off the road just a little bit, and it sat empty for two years. And I asked Pastor Merle, I said, Why is that house sitting empty? And he goes, there's a big crack in the foundation and it's actually been um, foreclosed upon and been, uh, I don't know if they use the word condemned or not, but whatever, you know, you couldn't live in it. It couldn't be occupied any longer because it had a big crack in the foundation. So a house that would normally sell for $160,000, $70,000 sold for like 40 grand because there was a big crack in the foundation. So then they, somebody bought it for cheap like that. They jacked up the house, busted out the foundation, poured a new foundation in, rested the house back down, refurbed it, and now it's worth 170 again, right? So, but the foundation, when I'm, when I, the point I'm making is the foundation isn't noticeable unless there's something wrong. Like we all assume there's a great foundation, but then if something's wrong, there's a crack that appears in the wall of your house and you go, "Uh uh-oh, there's something going on with the foundation. A friend of mine uh, had a, uh, he he lived in another country and they had got, they had a house that was approved for two stories and then the guy just decided to add a third story and the foundation wasn't rated for the third story. So what happened? You know what happened. The house started to go, and eventually fell over. There was a, a house in Grand Haven, $25 million house. Big, big house. Wasn't mine, don't worry. Um, I'd take it though. But anyway, they literally tore it down because the foundation wasn't good and it was in a sand dune and it was falling into the lake. 
They literally tore down a 25. Why? Here's this beautiful, the entryway for this house. I know the guy who was a contractor that worked on it. The entryway door was a hundred grand. But they tore the house down because the foundation was bad. Everybody say foundation. foundation. The foundation is important. Even though it's not the prettiest thing in our faith, Maybe you want to get a goosebump because that's more fun. But you know what? You can have all the goosebumps you want. But if you don't have a foundation, when trouble hits, goosebumps don't help. You got to have a foundation for your faith. So we're gonna, the, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So I remember 31 years ago, 31 years ago, I started coming to this church 31 years ago. I know I am only 35, so I must have came when I was four years old, right? Now, if you believe that, I'm sorry. I don't mean to lie. I figured y'all can figure I'm older than that. 31 years ago, I came here, and pastor preached 13 weeks on the book of Hebrews in a row, 13 weeks in a row, just went through verse by verse in the book of Hebrews. Changed my life. And that's honestly, why, why is that so important? Because Hebrews is one of the most deep, theologically sound books in the entire Bible. There's so much truth in the book of Hebrews. And he went through verse by verse by verse by verse, all the way through the book, all 13 weeks. All 50 of us sat there for 13 weeks. There's only about 50 of us that showed up. But all 50 of us, many of us today are still serving God. They're still my friends. I still see them. The, a lot of the folks that were in that, that service on Wednesday nights when Pastor Dwayne spoke that 31 years ago. So why, why, why am I talking about foundations so much? Because foundations are hugely important. And Hebrews chapter six is, the, is a springboard text that we're using for this entire series. And it says, therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings. There it is. Of, about Christ and go on to, the, to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death or repentance from dead works and faith toward God, instruction in baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Now, tonight we're going to talk about fortified faith or faith toward God. Now, I could talk for probably 10 weeks just about faith, but I'm only gonna talk for two weeks on faith. Um, tonight and next week, we're gonna be talking about faith. But faith is really an almost an inexhaustible subject, but we're gonna talk about faith toward God tonight. Because it's one of the elementary foundational doctrines. Because in our society, we might assume, if you grew up in West Michigan, you might assume that the rest of the world is like West Michigan. I got news for you, it's not. If you go anywhere 50 miles east of here, it's a different country. It's a whole different world when you get over by Detroit. Anywhere near Detroit. It's a whole nother world if you get further north and further south. There's like, we live in a bubble in, West, in, in Grand Rapids area, a bubble of a, a whole lot of churches and a whole lot of Christians in this little bubble that we live in. Because when you, when you go outside of our bubble of, of Grand Rapids area, and even inside our bubble, there's a lot of people that, that don't embrace 
um, Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. There's a lot of evangelism to do right here in Grand Rapids. However, <clears throat> if you go outside and go into the national scene and even more so in the international scene, you can't assume that people, you can't assume anything about what people believe. If you start saying, well, Jesus is Lord, they'll look at you and go, who's Jesus and what do you mean, Lord? Because they don't have a basic understanding of, of even that, that Jesus is the Son of God. They'll argue with you and say, well, that's what you think, but I don't think he's God. And there's not a general acceptance anymore in, in society that Jesus is God. There's not a general acceptance that Jesus is the only way. I mean, half the church doesn't even, I don't mean this church, but half the body of Christ doesn't even, or the people that attend church don't even believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. When Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man comes to the Father but through me. Now, how clear is that and how much help do you need to misunderstand that? Jesus is the only way to God. But yet, if you say that in public, people will say that you're narrow-minded and they might even call you a bigot. When, if you look up the definition of bigot, there's nothing bigoted about that statement, but they misuse that word to try to intimidate. See, so you can't assume foundational doctrines with anyone because our world, is, the, the America in particular, is in a post-Christian era. Our country is not in a, in a, 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 a overall Christian environment at all. We, we have to, that's why we have to establish our foundational doctrines. We have to know what we believe, why we believe it, and that we're persuaded of it. I love the old song we used to sing. It says, I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. It's a great old song because it's a really, really powerful doctrinal statement. I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. It's saying, I know him and I trust him and he's able to back up his word in my life. That's what that song is saying. And it's a powerful, powerful statement. It's what we've got to establish as our position. But before we can have faith, we gotta know what faith is. Now Hebrews 11 chapter one is the, the Bible definition of faith. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. There is no such thing as blind faith. People talk about blind faith. There is no such thing as blind faith. Faith sees, but it sees beyond the natural realm into the spiritual realm. That's why people think it's blind because they can't see it, but it really is seeing beyond the natural into the spiritual realm. That's what faith is. Faith sees what you can't see with your natural eyes, but you have to see through the eyes of your heart. And that comes through believing God. Now, faith is the substance. Now, we're gonna go break down the words. The word faith there in the Greek, it's the word pistis. It's Strong's number 4102. If you don't, 
know what a Strong's Concordance is. It's just a, a book that has been developed that goes, that takes every word in the Bible back to the original languages. And it gives all the possible definitions of every word, every substantial word in the Bible. It's a very great thing. And you can, you can get one of those. You can get them online at PC Bible and all that stuff. That's what I have. But anyway, so the Greek word there is pistis. And it means to be persuaded or have assurance. So now faith or the persu- you're per- fully persuaded or you have assurance is the substance. What does the word substance mean? The word substance is the word hypostasis, and it means the support. So it says now being, pu- being fully persuaded has the support of things hoped for. Now the word hoped for there is the word elpizo. And it means to expect or have a confident expectation. Okay? And then it says, and the evidence, evidence, what's the word evidence? Elichos, elenchos, sorry, I'm not a Greek scholar. And it simply means proof. So if you wanna break it down in the original, it basically says, now the confident assurance of things that you confidently expect and the substance or support for those things of the things that you are, and it's the, the, the proof of things that you're confidently expecting. It, it is the proof of things confidently expecting. Faith is the substance. So faith is not something that's just poof, a puff of smoke. Faith is substance. And it's the substance of things hoped for. So without hope, it's tough to have faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for. So whenever someone says, well, we don't want to get their hopes up, I always say, I absolutely want to get their hopes up. Because until you get your hopes up, you can't even begin to have faith. See, it starts with things that are hoped for. So, I mean, we of all people in the body of Christ can have hope. Because Christ is in us the what? Somebody say it. Hope of glory. glory. Christ is in us the hope of glory. We have hope. So if we are hopeless, you're saying you're Christless. Because he's in us the hope of glory. So I'm not here to condemn anybody. I'm just saying... You can have hope. It's a good day. Why? Because Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Things that are impossible for man are not impossible for God. All things are possible to him who believes, period. All things. Say, well, you don't know my situation. No, I don't, but I know one thing, God does and it's not impossible. Because there is nothing that's impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. Jesus was three days dead in the grave and everybody thought it was over. Satan was having a party, celebrating his victory. And then all of a sudden, Jesus rose from the dead and ruined the devil's existence. Defeated him once and for all. Things that were impossible are possible to God. So we've got to have this hope It starts with hope. 
It's the evidence of, it's the, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So what do we have hope in? You say, well, you gotta have faith. Faith in what? Faith in my own goodness? Faith in your performance? Faith in your abilities? Faith in karma? Whatever that means. Faith in fate? Faith in what? What do we have faith in? What do we have faith in? We have faith in God. We have faith in the Word made flesh. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ as a person. See, what sets Christianity apart? Because Christianity is not a religion. I'll, I'll say it again. Christianity is not a religion. Religion is man's attempt to be right with God. Man's set of circumstances and rules by which they attempt to, to, to be right with God. Christianity is God's action to make man right with himself. See, religion is man initiated toward God. Christianity is God initiated toward man. And there's a difference. Christianity is not a religion. That's why when people say, oh, you're a very religious person, I said, I am in no way, shape, or form religious. I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus and I'm his disciple. I am not religious. I can't please God by myself. I rest solely upon the shed blood of Jesus Christ and God's completed work of atonement through Jesus Christ. And there is a big difference. The difference between you having to be good enough to meet all the rules and, and do all the right things, that's religion. And some people treat Christianity as though it is a religion. You got the do's, the don'ts, the touch knots, the taste knots, the handle knots, right? Anybody else grow up in that home? Okay. That's not Christianity. That's somebody that's taken Christianity and made it a religion. In its essence, at its core, Christianity is a relationship with God the Father, the creator of the universe through Jesus Christ, his son, period. It's a relationship, it's not religion. Religion kills, relationship gives life. Religion does not bring life. Religion brings rules and it brings hopelessness because you know what, newsflash, none of us can ever be good enough to reach God. It's not possible. If it were possible, why did God send his son to die on a cross and be our substitute? It's not possible. Only Jesus was the one that could pay the price for sin once and for all, for all of mankind. So therefore, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, his son. So what is Christianity? It's Jesus Christ encountered through his word, revealed by the Holy Spirit, acknowledged by the believer, and confessed by the mouth of the believer. Because Romans 10, 9 and 10 makes it very clear. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. So what is it now? It's Jesus Christ encountered through the Holy Spirit. 
encountered through your life, through interactions with others and interactions with God's word, it's revealed by the Holy Spirit. Because no man comes to the Father except the Spirit draw him. It's acknowledged, realizing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is the only way, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. You cannot say, oh, Jesus Christ, or this way, this way, this way, or this way. This is not a smorgasbord. This is not a multiple choice question. There is one right answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now, is this, is this a popular opinion? No. Is this something that people on talk shows try to get you to argue and they try to condemn you? All that? Oh yeah, they're always trying to talk people into saying there's another way to heaven. But you know what? If you look in the Bible, which is the only thing that matters, there's one way to heaven and his name is Jesus. And that's good news, that's not bad news, that's good news. Jesus is the only way. Why am I being so dogmatic about that? Because it's that important that Jesus is the only way. Faith is being convinced that something has occurred in the unseen spiritual realm and you're awaiting its manifestation in the seen natural realm. That's another definition, like an alternate definition for faith. Now, I'm not replacing Hebrews 11.1. 1. I'm simply saying this is another way to understand it. That you're, you're convinced that something has occurred in the unseen natural realm and you're awaiting its arrival in the seen natural realm. What does that look like in your life today? You ask God, you say, Let's just use something really silly and unimportant, okay? I couldn't find my sunglasses on vacation. You might think, well, that's a dumb thing to talk about. Sure, okay, I'll give you that. But it's real, okay? Just happened last week. I have this really nice pair of sunglasses that cost me all of about 20 bucks because I don't spend more than that on sunglasses. And some people pay 200, not this cat, I'm Dutch. So. I had this, my nicest pair of sunglasses and we're at the lake and I'm on the boat and I'm, you know, we're, it's sunny and all these great things, but I don't, I can't find my sunglasses. And I'm like, for two days, I'm like, well, this is terrible. I can't find my sunglasses. So in all his infinite wisdom, my 16 year old said, well, dad, have you asked God where they are? I said, well, no, I haven't. He goes, well, duh. He knows where they are. I said, you're right. And I usually do, but I was on vacation, so I wasn't thinking right. So too much sun on my head or something. I don't know. So I, so I, I just stopped and I said, Lord, I know I should have asked you before, but where are my sunglasses? Would you show me? And it didn't happen right away, but about 15 minutes later, I was moving the donuts. I didn't eat one. I was just moving them. I did not eat one. But I was moving them and there were my sunglasses. Now two days I could not find those silly sunglasses. But I, but I said, thank you, Lord. I was walking around going, thank you, Lord, and I'm gonna find my sunglasses. I was fully persuaded that God was gonna show me where my sunglasses were, even though I couldn't see them in the natural realm. And what that's called? That's called faith. 
See, and about literally, that was an easy one. That's why I told you it was a silly example because it was a silly example because I wanted to tell you about a silly example so that you could say, well, if God will show him where his stupid sunglasses were, I'm sure he'll hear me when I pray about something that's really important, okay? Because God will even answer prayers about silly things. He really will. He just did to me with the sunglasses. So, so it's being fully persuaded, now, there's, there's different kinds of faith. People think, well, well what's faith? What is, what is faith? Faith is being fully persuaded, right? It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But there's human faith. For instance, do I think this table can hold me? I don't know if that table can hold me if I stand on it. So I'm not, I don't have faith in that. See, I don't, I don't wanna break it, okay? But I do have confidence this this thing can hold me. So I demonstrate my confidence and my faith by standing on this pew, right? Doesn't take much faith because it's just obvious and it's there. That's just called natural faith. That's like when your child jumps to you on the side of the pool, you're in the pool going like this and your child, your grandchild jumps into your arms. What's that called? That's called faith in daddy or faith in mommy because they jump even though they're scared because they trust you that you're gonna catch them, right? That's just human faith. You have faith in the, the other person. But what we really wanna talk about here is faith in God and faith in his word and not just human faith or natural faith. You gotta have faith to sit, every time you sit down on a chair, you're demonstrating some form of natural faith, right? You, you trust that that chair is gonna support your weight, right? So what we're, what we're referring to more is the spiritual faith and the word of God. Now, why can we have faith in the word of God? If you read it in God's word, newsflash, if you read it in God's word, it's true. We have to establish some some, some guidelines, some truths. Some things have to be absolute for us to really operate in faith. You have to trust that some things are absolute. Either God is God or he's not. And if he's God, what he says is true. Okay? So, and if you don't believe in absolutes, you're not gonna have, you're not gonna be able to even start in your walk of faith. See, the world the world and our culture do not like absolutes. They want everything to be relative. They want everything to, well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Newsflash, that God's word is true for you and me and everybody else. Well, that sounds pretty arrogant. Well, I guess when you create the entire world, you're allowed to make the rules, right? And that's what God did. He created the entire world. This is my father's world. Okay, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So God's word is infallible. It's truth. It's true every time. If my thoughts conflict with God's word, I'm wrong. If my circumstances make it appear that God's word is not true, I am misinterpreting my circumstances because God's word is true. It says in Psalm 119, 160, it says, thy word is true from the beginning. Thy word is true from the beginning. Every word in the Bible is true. It says in Matthew 
Chapter 5, verse 17 to 19, Jesus talking now. He said, do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or tittle, it just means one comma or one period, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Not one thing can be removed from God's word until everything is fulfilled. Heaven and earth are gonna pass away, but God's word will remain. God's word will be here after everybody in this room is gone, after this room, after this building has been made to rubble, God's word will still stand. See, they tried to stop God's word and all the people that tried to stop God's word, you know what, they're all gone now. Hitler tried to stop God's word and God's people, he gone. Herod tried to stop God's word and God's people, he's gone too. See, anybody that tried to stop and tried to, to hinder or stop God's plan in the earth, whoever they were, they're gone. And God's word is still here. And when all of us are gone, God's word will still be here. That's what we have to realize. You have to believe that God's word is true if you're going to really operate in Bible faith. Faith is of the heart. See, faith is not of the head. See, there's a lie in the world, in religion, that because I think and I agree with something, therefore, I have faith. Tell you a little story. I was 22 years old. I was at Western Michigan University. I was a senior getting my bachelor's degree in business. And I was working out at the gym and hanging out with the varsity football players and thought I was pretty cool. Big dummy. But anyway, um, I'm working out and this new guy shows up at the gym and he offers to spot for me. So I said, fine, you can spot for me. So we start working out together and one day he says to me, what do you think happens when we die? I'm like, you weirdo, what are you talking about that for? You know, we're working out, just go away, you know? But he asked me again, just, I'm just curious, what do you think happens when we die? So I said to him, I was a good Christian kid, as I thought, even though I didn't live like it. Um, I said, well, you, you go to heaven or hell. Okay, where do you think you're going, he says to me. I said, I'm going to heaven. He goes, really, why do you think that? I said, because Jesus died for my sins on the cross. He rose again on the third day and he's coming back to get his church someday. And I believe in him and he's my savior. He goes, wow, so you think you're a Christian? And I said, well, yeah. He goes, wow, why don't you act like it? <laughs> See, I, I was so stubborn and so full of mental assent that God needed to take a two by four and just whack me upside the head with this young man. So was that polite of him? No, but I am forever in his debt for whacking me upside the head with a two by four. I, I looked at him, he says, he said, well, why don't you act like it? Because I was not living right. I was not living a godly life. I was not 
I was not, I was behaving in any way I could find wrong. I did it. Okay. But yet I was going to church. Anybody know anybody like that? Maybe some of you were like that. Hopefully you're not still like that. If you are, we'll have an altar call later. So I, you know what I told them though? I got to tell you what I told them. I, I told them to go to H-E-double-L. And he goes, problem is, you think you're going to heaven, but I think you're going there. But he was one confrontive son of a gun, wasn't he? But see, that's what I needed in my life at that particular. So God sent him across my path. You know what? My mom and dad were praying every night I found out later. My mom and dad were praying on their knees every night before they went to bed. They were praying this prayer. My mom and dad told me. My mom's 93. My dad's in heaven. But every night before they went to bed, they get on their knees and they prayed this for me. I heard them pray it one time. Oh God, show Bernie the end of the road he's on before it's too late. So God used this guy named Bob to whack me upside the head and show me what road I was on before it was too late. So I looked at him and I was so stunned by his confrontive behavior toward me that I was like, I didn't know what to do. I was, I was just stunned. I was so taken back by his approach. And I, um, I didn't get saved right there, but I started examining and seeking out the Bible and I started looking toward the Lord and I started my faith journey. It was about a year later where I actually accepted the Lord. And then from then on out, it's been full bore for 31 years. But what I'm saying is from this, this thing, he confronted me because I had mental ascent. It's an 18 inch journey from your head to your heart. If you believe, it doesn't say if you believe in your head, it says if you believe in your heart. See, I had accepted what the Bible said. I had accepted it mentally. I had learned hundreds of Bible verses because I went to catechism every week. I went to, I went to Christian school. I went to church every Sunday because if you didn't, you got whooped at my house. So no more of this, if you want to go, you can go. Like, heck, you're going, okay? That was my house. So, I mean, I had all kinds of head knowledge. My dad paid me to memorize Bible verses, okay? They had good intentions, okay? It never took, though. It was just all up here, and I didn't have it here. It's an 18-inch journey from mental ascent to heart faith because faith is of the heart. It's not of the head. It says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. It's a, it's a heart-mouth heart connection, See, if you believe in your head, you just simply have an opinion. But if you believe in your heart, you have a conviction. That's right. Get that? If you believe in your head, you have an opinion. It's just an opinion. You have mental assent. You don't get saved by agreeing mentally with what God says. You get saved by agreeing in your heart and confessing with your mouth with what God says. That's how we get, you get saved by the belief in your heart and confessing confession of your mouth. See, the 18-inch distance from your head to your heart, it's the difference between heaven and hell. For me, it was the difference between heaven and hell. 
because I had all the mental assent that I needed. I knew all the scriptures. I could quote more Bible verses than the guy who was witnessing to me. I had hundreds, because I'm real good at memorization. It's a gift. And I knew hundreds of Bible verses, whole Psalms I had memorized when I was a kid, including the um, Gettysburg Address, but that didn't get you saved. But I knew more Bible verses than the guy who was trying to get me saved, but yet he was saved and I wasn't. Why is that? Because I hadn't taken the 18 inch journey from my head to my heart. I'm wondering today, who hasn't taken that journey? Who hasn't taken that journey yet from, maybe you believe, but have you believed in your heart? See, because if you believe in your head, you can still act any old way and it doesn't really bother you because you just have an opinion. But when you believe in your heart, it's a conviction and when you sin, you're convicted and you can't live any old way once you've accepted Christ in your heart and you have heart faith. So today, if you can go ahead and sin anything you want, do anything you want, but you, you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but if you can, if you say I'm a Christian and yet you can do anything you want and nothing bothers you, I would say with all due respect, you need to take an 18 inch journey from your head to your heart, just like I did because that's the difference between heaven and hell. I'm so thankful that that man was direct with me. I realize I'm being very direct and it may make you uncomfortable, but that's the price I'm willing to pay. Why? You may be mad at me. Maybe you're saying, well, who do you think you are? I don't think I'm anybody. All I know is I was lost. I used to have opinions and now I have convictions and I just want that for you too. That's all. You can choose to accept it. You can choose to receive it. You can choose to deny it and reject it. That's, told, that's free will. That is why God, that's how God made us. We have free will. It's a gift. Free will is the most powerful thing God gave us is our free will. We can choose to love him, to believe him, to receive him, and we can choose to reject him. It's up to you. Close your eyes if you would. Today, if you say, I don't know today. Like you said, I don't know if I've made that 18 inch journey from my head to my heart. I don't know if my opinion of the Bible is, a, is an opinion or if it's really a conviction. And I don't know what my eternal destination is. If I died today, I, I don't have assurance. The good news is this, the Bible says that you can know these things have I written to you, it says in 1 John chapter 5. These things have I written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know today that you have eternal life. You can take that 18-inch journey in a matter of seconds. All it takes is believing and confessing Jesus Christ is Lord and believing that he raised him from the dead. If that's you and you say, I want to do that. I'm going to just ask you to raise your hand right where you are. Say, I want to take that journey. That's me. I want to take that journey. I want to go from opinions to convictions. I want to take that 18 inch journey from my head to my heart. That's me. I want to do that. If that's you, lift your hand. I'll give you 10 seconds. I won't belabor it. 
Okay, that's fine. Everybody here has already made that journey. Let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Father, we thank you that you are on the throne. Father, we love you. We ask that you would give us the grace, give us the passion, stir us up and we stir ourselves up in our most holy faith. Father, to, to challenge those around us, to, to, to make that journey from the head to the heart, to make that journey, to accept the authority of your word, to examine, always examine the condition of our own hearts, to make sure that we have a heart that has good ground and to consider your word as the highest authority in our lives. Father, we thank you that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That as we read your word, faith is resident within your word. And as we read your word and hear your word, faith comes. We thank you, Father. Father, today, empower, strengthen, lead and guide in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.